Right, welcome to church, happy Sabbath, and if you are new, I don't think there's anybody new today, welcome, but thank you for joining us for our hybrid worship, and for those who are joining us online, I saw a few new names, so welcome, I don't know who you are, but thank you for joining us in our worship. So, a few announcements, right, continuing to talk about uh, how church will be and what it will be like. So, first of all, this afternoon, uh, those who tuned in earlier who have seen the video, our Hope channel uh, has prepared programs for the Sabbath afternoon. So starting today onwards at 3 p.m., if you tune into our Hope Channel website, there'll be an episode on forgiving to live that'll be aired, a new episode will be aired every Sabbath afternoon at 3 o'clock. I'll show the video and so everybody can have a look at uh, a little introduction to what it is. I should reach out, you know, and slap him on the face. Maybe even spit on his face. If you have a story that you find yourself repeating over and over again about what someone else has done to hurt you, then the Forgive to Live seminar is just the program for you. Here you will learn not only the benefits you can receive by forgiving, but you will also get very practical guidelines on how to forgive so you can let go of your past and move on toward a new and more exciting future. So yes, if you are interested to watch the, the, the episode that's been released today, go to hopechannel.sg, hopechannel.sg, and the first episode will be available from 3 o'clock onwards. As you can see, there's a, a lot of work towards uh, scattered, providing resources to those who are scattered and not being able to gather together in one place physically. Uh, in fact, I think that's a blessing, that we can now become God's conduit and His shining light and salt everywhere we go, everywhere we go. And so part of the thing that we're working on, uh, still finalizing, is this. We're working towards having uh, different sites where you can gather on Sabbath morning for worship. I need to clarify one thing. There's been some misunderstanding. People think we are actually purchasing or renting shop houses in the MRT station. We are not. We are not. Is that these sites that we have found are actually owned by church members and they've made it available to, for use for us to use on Sabbath. And they're near, near the MRT station. They're not at the MRT station. In fact, it's so near, it's walking distance. It's walking distance from Bunking MRT and also the Clark Key MRT station. There's two sites we are working on to make it available and it's where people can come and gather for church. And, and the thing is, we can't start off this site unless we have volunteers, coordinators who are willing to manage the two separate sites every Sabbath. 
You know, we, we, we need somebody who is committed to this, to, ho- to host and lead out at those sites, at least for the rest of this year to get it going, to get it going. So we really committed people at these two sites. And we need at least two people at each site. So we need a total of four volunteers to get the sites going. So a little uh, introduction of how it will be different from at coming to church. While at church, we can gather as a group, we can have sermons live and sing live, but we're not really at a place where we can, you know, interact as freely as we want to. We can't sing as freely as we want to. So at this place, uh, we will uh, be able to have Sabbath school in person. So for those of you who are used to that, coming together to study, you can have a group of 10, a group of 10 in person studying together. And because of the unique setup, um, we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to do that. Then as a group, you can tune into our live worship together, join the worship from wherever you are, uh, especially at these two sites in Boon King and in Clark Key, and you can sing. You can just sing live uh, heartily, yeah, passionately, uh, because of, uh, you're not in a church building. You don't, you don't have to be restricted by those restrictions and regulations. And after that, because you're in this unique setting, you can have food together. You can eat together, socialize, interact together, which we still at the moment, and I don't think we can even have that come back to church for the rest of this year. So that's the, 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 the good uh, and the uniqueness of this site, and we're trying to make it available, and so we're looking for volunteers. We're going to have four volunteers, two at each site, more than Mary, of course, to coordinate this to get it going. And the next thing is to discuss the, the steps forward for ASDAG. All members of the ASDAG church, uh, we're inviting you, the baptized members of ASDAG church, inviting you to join our church business meeting. And for the first time, we are not able to have the meeting here in person, and we're going to make it available through Zoom, all right? So we're going to make it available through Zoom, and the meeting is going to start promptly at 8 p.m. The good part is you don't have to rush here. You don't have to rush here after your dinner, you can have your food at home, and you can just join online to the meeting. The links should have already been sent out to you, either via WhatsApp or email. If you have not received some glitches may have happened. Please text, message, WhatsApp, whatever, this number right now. For those of you at home, text this number right now and says uh, Zoom meeting link or whatever. Just let me know that you're asking for the church business meeting link to be sent to you. 8754-5504. Either through message, through Telegram, through WhatsApp, whatever. I think we have all of those things. So message us if you are a baptized member of the Aztec Church. If you have not received the link yet, send a message and we'll get the link to you before 8 p.m. tonight. All right? So those of you have message now, 8754-5504. We want as many of you to be involved in the church business meeting as possible. I'm going to be, share, be sharing uh, some of the, the things that we're going to look at in the moving ahead. And also, we'll be sending you the agenda. Those of you who are already received the link should also have received the agenda. So for those of you who have not, I'll send it to you, and you have the agenda to prepare for tonight's meeting. 8 o'clock via Zoom. 8 o'clock via Zoom. The next thing I'm doing is I'm very excited that despite our inability to meet and gather in person, we have, God has blessed us and brought souls to the church, reminding us that this work is His and not ours. We're participating in the work with Him, and today we have a, a profession of faith. And for some of you who do not understand what the profession of faith is, is somebody who has been baptized by immersion previously, but now choosing to join the church as a member. 
She's in the church as a member. And today we have Nancy. I invite her onto the stage. You can take off your mask and join me on the stage. She's, uh, after studying, I'll let her tell you a little bit more in detail her own story. But just a brief introduction. She came to church seven years ago, uh, about seven years ago. Uh, Elder Albert brought her to church and then she's been uh, participating in the socials and eventually she joined the small groups and uh, here's your microphone and eventually she studied and she decided after thinking through it and having uh, two interviews with me to become a member of the church. Uh, so Nancy, I'll let you share a little bit about your own story. I know you're nervous but don't worry, we're all friends here. Uh, just read through a little story and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us love to have bonuses as I have double blessed bonuses such as my birthday bonus yesterday and today. I'm accepted into the fellowship of the Aztec family of God as a member of the church. I was brought up in a very strict Christian Anglican family and both my parents were Chinese language school teachers. I was baptized with immersion in water at Ricky Terrace Church when I was 15 years old. After that, I attended St. Andrew's Church, where I had the opportunity to enrich Bible knowledge by attending classes and cell group. I went to Canada for further studies in BCom. I returned to Singapore and worked at Tatley Bank. I was married to a Catholic husband who passed away peacefully. From then on, I had nowhere to go and maybe I had to sleep on the street as homeless. I left my husband's house and my brother was kind enough to accommodate me temporarily lodging. Generally, I have ups and downs in my life. I went through many challenges with friends and family members. My mom passed away in August 2012. Nevertheless, I underwent depression and being upset with family members having shattered relationships. I figure and wonder what is the right divine path to walk and the right church to attend. I kept praying to God for the answers. Then I met your church. Elder Albert Kaur in the Eucharist class seven years ago. He counseled and gave me good advice to look forward positively and led me to attend ESSEC. He emphasized on healthy, balanced diet and lifestyle living. I thank God and all AY members for the nurturing and accepting me for the Bible studies. We enrich our Bible knowledge and grow spiritually and tremendously by attending Seth Uruba and Roger Wong Zoom Bible classes 
during last year COVID period. I learned a lot from books of Daniel, Revelation, and Ellen G. White books, The Great Controversy and Step to Christ. Thanks to Pastor James and ESTEP members, Albert Carr and Esther Carr, who provide me packet lunch food frequently, Raymond Chua, Dr. Lily Wong, Sutira Kuna, one who gave me two devotional prayer books, and all AY members for all the encouragement who helped me to grow spiritually. I thank God for the new birth and give glory to God for the true estate church. Thank you for your listening ear and thank you for your attention. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hold to the mic. And as you can see, uh, Nancy coming to the church was not the work of one single person and not just the pastor. But in fact, you look at this, the pastor was not involved until the, the tail end. But all the members, the AOY members, Uncle Albert Cole, and all the people who supported her during her time here led her to the decision today. And so for her to join a church, there's three vows I'm going to read. And at the end of it, I'm going to ask you to raise your right hand and say yes, you're in agreement to accept the, the pledge, right? So I'm going to read them first. Number one, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, and I desire to live my life in a saving relationship with Him. And that was expressed in your baptism uh, in, by immersion previously. I accept the teachings of the Bible as expressed in the statement of fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's through the studies, Bible studies, and I pledge by God's grace to live my life in harmony with these teachings. Number three, having been baptized by immersion as a public expression of my belief in Jesus Christ, I desire to be accepted into the fellowship of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and to support the church and its mission as a faithful steward of my personal influence, my tithe and offering, and a life of service. If that's your desire, Nancy, I ask you to raise your right hand and agree and say yes to it. Yes, I do. So welcome to the family. A round of applause for Nancy. Although we can't do very much, uh, we can't have our big celebration, but I'd like to ask Helen on behalf of the church to present uh, the bouquet of flowers we prepared. And then this very heavy thing that the pastor always gives to new members. <laughs> yeah, so, and uh, your profession of faith, sir, is in this whole huge bag. And because it's Chinese New Year, right? You, know, you can use this later to put orange. And uh, welcome to the family. Here you go. Can you? Oh, how you? Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Right. Have a seat. Thank you so much. And again, that's the story. That's the story that the church, over the past few, baptism, profession of faith, as you can see, was the work of the church coming together. And it was an involvement mainly of the, the lay people. I don't like that term, but it's the people who are not employed by the church who have done most of the work. And the pastor come in to confirm what the work has already been done and been so been brought to Christ. Especially, especially in times like this, where we can't depend on just the physical gathering on, on Sabbath to, to reach out to people, to invite people. Now, you know, every week, Sarah and I, as we manage the name list, we're like, oh no, you know, there's more people wanting to come. Who do we have to say no to? Who do we, we maneuver, we <laughs> move things around. Um, and that's going to be the norm for a little while, for a little while. So we have to look beyond. You know, we cannot just sit back passively and respond. I think we must positively proactively plan ahead. 
But as I left you last week, as I shared with you that the, the power of the church is the gospel. It is nothing else. It is not the program. It is not the building. And honestly, it's not even the people. It is the gospel, the work of Christ, which is the power of the church. And I left you and says, we will talk about what the gospel is today. And as we come, let us pray. I'm going to pray for Nancy and also pray for all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Nancy's decision to join the Aztec family. Lord, you've led her through her life, through the ups and downs, and through the various challenges she's faced, continuing to, to, to work on her heart, to, to drive her to look for something more. Because Lord, life circumstances have shown Nancy that there's nothing on this earth she can rely on, but there must be something more, and she found it in you, Lord. And Father, today she's, she's decided to join the church as a member, to be a, a disciple of yours, to to participate in the work of sharing the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you empower her. And Lord, we know that now she's a vulnerable little baby that's just been born spiritually again. May you protect her, guard her, guide her. And may you challenge the church to care and disciple her to become a mature disciple of yours. And Lord, for all of us who are listening today, may you speak to our hearts about what the gospel is. Um, Lord, I'm only sharing from your word and it's nothing that I can really explain but your power, the power of your Holy Spirit have to explain it to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, when I was young, uh, not that young, when I was in secondary school, I had a really bad habit. That is this. I'm always in the second last or the last row and I always have to lean my chair back and uh, lean on the table that's desk right behind me. My mom hates it. My teacher hates it. They say, you're going to fall one day. You're going to break your back or you're going to break your neck. You're going to like get seriously injured. But I don't know why. It was just really comfortable and fun that during the class, just balanced on the two chairs. And accident had happened before where I, I bent on it, and I'm not light, I'm a big guy. And the chair bent, the, the leg bent, and then I almost fell, almost fell. Uh, I laughed it off, but actually looking back, it was actually quite dangerous. I could have knocked my, my back of my head against the, the desk, which was like wood and metal back then, uh, not plastic. So uh, thankfully, I survived. So the chairs are designed to work on four. Although I've, I went online and I was searching for a two-legged two chair, two chair. There are new designs. I'm, I'm guessing there's more people like me who actually like two-legged chairs. In fact, there's one that's one-legged that you can bring along and if you go to the MRT and there's no chair, you can just put behind you and can sit on it. That's like, pretty clever, pretty clever. But the idea is that the, the, the chairs to be stable and firm, it has to be all four on the, on the ground. Alright, the two in the air is not such a good idea. It's not, not really good. So today I'm going to continue my conversation about what that, that chair has to do with the gospel. Last week we talked about how the power of the church, the power of God is the gospel. We read from the scripture, Paul says it. And today in another verse, in another verse, Paul challenges us further. If you can, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. Paul continues to expound on this idea of the power of God. And verse 22 says, For the Jews demand signs and Greeks demand sick wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
So ultimately, the gospel is not about an intellectual knowledge that we acquire. Paul is as clear as he can be when he says, the power, the gospel is actually Christ. Christ himself is the power. But first, first let's look at verse 22. It says the Jews demand signs. Isn't that a lot like us today? The Jews and the Gentiles actually represent people today who are of these two groups. One group says, tells me as I give my Bible study to, to people who, are, who have not believed in Jesus, says, show me. Show me what God can do. I will believe Jesus if I see the miracles, if I see things happening, if I see the power. To me, that is good to draw your attention, but continuously from my reading of the Scripture, performance of signs did not convict people. The Jews, they saw Jesus healing the sick, making the lame walk, making the blind see. The Jews, they saw Jesus feeding the 5,000, the 4,000. They believed for a little while. But as soon as his teaching was something they were uncomfortable with, as soon as he made claims that they couldn't accept that he was the Son of God or God himself, they rejected him. And that story is not new to the New Testament. The Israelites, in e when they exodus from Egypt, Day and night, they saw pillars of clouds, pillars of fires. They saw manna rain down from heaven every day. They saw quail, roast chicken, fly into their tents for them to eat. They saw water spurting out from the rock. Did they believe? No. They said, God, you brought us out to the desert to kill us. You brought us out to kill us. And not very far from the great miracle, the great sign of God's power where the Red Sea opened and they walked across on dry ground and the Red Sea closed and killed the Pharaoh's army, did they very quickly left God and worshipped a golden calf. Signs don't work. Signs may draw your attention for a little while like a magician performing a magic trick. But very soon, as you discover how the trick is done, or you think you know how the trick is done, or somebody performs something more amazing to you, you switch your allegiance. Signs are too superficial. And he was telling the Jews, that's what you need? Well, the death of Christ will show you that the sign you're looking for can be killed. But then they don't realize that he also can be resurrected. Maybe we're not like the Jews. Maybe we're more like the Greeks. And actually, I think a popping part of this denomination, we are very bent on Greek, Greek philosophy. We want knowledge. I will believe if I understand. I will believe if it's logical. I will believe if it makes sense. And probably that's due to the founding fathers of the church who are more deist, more disconnected with the emotional side of God. Uh, and so they, they focus on the knowledge, the truth, the understanding, the, the how much of the Bible have you read through and memorized. And to the Greeks, that was what they were looking for, knowledge. But as I shared many a time with you, that I have professors who are PhDs in theology who, who can speak and write ancient Hebrew and Greek who spend most of their lives, 30, 40 years of their lives, studying this book, Theology, and are atheists. If you ask them about explaining the Bible, they can explain the Bible way better than Pastor James can share in any, any sermons. They can make you so fascinated with this book that you'll be like, I want to read it every single day. 
And then you'll be surprised and you find out they don't actually believe in the God of the Bible. Knowledge doesn't convert anybody. Knowledge doesn't change any lives. It is important. Don't get me wrong. As important as signs up to the church to show the power of God, knowledge is important. You can be misled and have misunderstanding and, and, and have an erroneous view of God and that would drive you away from Him. That is just as important to have good knowledge. But knowledge itself will not bring you to Jesus. In fact, you ask most people who come to Jesus, you ask them, what brought you here? What was it? They will not really tell you about that huge Bible study Pastor James had with him. They went for three hours that brought him to Jesus. No, 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 no. By that point, they've already accepted Jesus. They just want to know more about this God that they love. And that's why they're studying more about Him. It was something else that brought him to Jesus or her to Jesus. Nancy, in her story, was very clear that what brought her was not a huge Bible study, was not she saw magic, magical, miraculous sign, but was the people who displayed something more than what she can understand that brought her to a fulfillment and satisfaction deep in the heart that she was looking for. And she found it among us, praise God. Christ is the power of God. But what does that mean? Christ is not present today in person among us, physically. So what does it mean when you say Christ is the power? Tell me the First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 5. I'm going to read you a few passages on what the Bible clearly states as the gospel. And I'm going to spend some time explaining the four legs of the chair. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 5 says, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. This is what Paul is saying. This is the gospel. This is it. I'm sharing with you what I got. It's not from me. I received it too from Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. There's two parts to it. Christ died for our sins and in accordance to the Scripture. That he was buried, part three, and he was raised on the third day, part four, in accordance with the scripture. Everything that happened to Jesus was not incidental, accidental, miraculously happened with no planning. It was a fulfillment of the prophecy as written. And the prophecy started in Genesis chapter three. That Jesus would come. The seed of the woman would strike the snake on the head. And a snake will strike the woman on the hill. He was the fulfillment of the ultimate prophecy. Verse 5. And that he, this is amazing, this last part, you must, you must see. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Why is this part important? Because if Jesus resurrected and just disappeared from among us, there could be rumors that he didn't really resurrect or like he's resurrected spiritually, not physically. No, 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 no. The Bible added this last part to Paul's explanation to say he is a real existing God. He is alive. He's the same Jesus, but more, and that he is among his people. He showed himself to Cephas to say, hey, I'm alive. I'm a person. I'm a physical body. Before later on, they saw his ascension. Let's go to the next verse. Let's go to Galatians. We go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 
and 16. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Right? Talk about, he was just saying, who am I? Uh, Paul was saying, yet we know, yet we know. See, if anybody tries to justify themselves by the way they live their life, by them following the law, by their heritage, it will be the Jew. Right? So, so he's saying, I'm a Jew, I'm not a Gentile sinner, but yet we know that a person, verse 16, is not justified by works of the law. And not by what you do. It's not about what, what commandments you kept, how often you attend Sabbath school, how that you live life according to the Scripture. It's not that. But through faith in Jesus Christ, the word there could also be of Jesus Christ. In the person and from the person. Both ways. So we also have belief in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one. The Bible is clear. You cannot earn your way to salvation. It is not by how much of the commandments you have kept. In fact, if you really look at the spirit of the law, none of us, none of us can keep the commandments. You cannot by yourself. You're not safe by your works. And finally, let's go to Mark chapter 1 verse 1. Mark chapter 1 verse 1. Mark is believed to be one of the earliest of the four gospels. Probably written as a narration of Peter's experience with Jesus. Not written by him, because Peter is not very good in writing. He's a fisherman. Um, but one of his disciples wrote it as he heard Peter narrate it. Something is John Mark. Uh, doesn't matter. But it's a narration of Jesus, uh, Peter's story and his experience with Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Peter concludes after his whole life of seeing Jesus go through what he went through, the things that he did, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and also his own betrayal and denial of his Lord, he says. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He calls his account the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, in its essence, is the story of Jesus. It is not the fact just that he died, he resurrected, and he ascended. But it's Jesus, the person, is the gospel. That's why Paul had no problem equating the power of God as the gospel, and in another place saying the power of God is Jesus. Because it's the same thing. The gospel that Christians must follow and believe is not a set of understanding, but a person who we worship. That is the gospel. And so the gospel has four parts to it. There's four parts, and all four parts must stand together for our Christian life, for our gospel to be powerful, to be balanced. There must be an acknowledgement of the creation. And I'll explain it a little bit further later on. And also there must be the fall, then the redemption, followed by the new creation. 
Without these four, the gospel is skewed and not balanced. And, and unfortunately, unfortunately, many, many churches have chosen two out of the four in their preference. Our denomination and a lot of the people of our kind of thinking, not only the Seventh-day Adventists, we focus a lot, a lot, and, and we like to only talk about the fall and the redemption. About how you're not good enough. You've sinned. You need Jesus. Oh, well, how do you get that? God has redeemed your life. And then we stop there. It is, it is good. It is an important aspect of the gospel, but it's not sufficient. And if that's the only gospel we preach, it is not the gospel of the Scripture. The gospel of the Scripture has all four parts. And not one can outweigh another. Have you ever sat on a chair where it's not balanced? Uh, a lot of time you go to a table, huh? and it's not balanced. I, I remember I, I'll eat at this coffee shop and the table will be like, kin, 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 kin. then you go through your wallet, like you find, you know, bus ticket last time, you fo 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 fo, you, not enough. And then you still find, hey, you got served yet? Then you fo-fo-fo-fo, until you like, balance. So if one aspect of the gospel is longer or more emphasized than the other, it is not better. It tips the whole balance and it makes things look out of place. Others of other groups of believers focus a lot on the creation. The creation of of, of the gospel, and then talk about the new creation. They skip through the middle as though you have not fallen and no need of redemption. You are created. Oh, life is messed up. Now you're new. And then like, how did that happen? Magic. So all four are important to us. So let me go to each individual aspect and talk about it. Creation. Creation reminds us importantly about where we came from. That's the question people are asking. A lot of the calls I received last year during COVID was, what's the meaning of life? Why am I still alive? Which is very scary because the next comment that I hear is, there's no point living. At that point, my bells will go off and go, what are you thinking? And there's more than one time where I have to refer them to SOS because they had a plan. There's no point living. Well, tomorrow I'm going to go get this and do this later on. Because they don't find meaning in, the, in their lives. What's the point? I work all my life for one company. All of a sudden, everything's gone. I have nothing left. My family's left me. What's the point? Might as well not live. But creation tells us where we come from who we are, why we exist, our value as humanity. The fall explains very critically, importantly, why our world is messed up. Without the idea of the fall, we cannot explain why good people experience bad things. If it's a legalistic I earn good, I do good, I should receive good kind of world, then how do you explain awesome, wonderful, nice, beautiful-hearted people going through awful things? You can explain it without the fall. You just have to then discount the whole idea of life being fair. Or you choose the other option where 
Life is random. There's no meaning. There's no God. There's no control. Life just is bad. With the fall, with the story of what happened back in Genesis 3, it tells us why the world is messed up, why there's COVID, why there are good people dying for no apparent reason of their own fault. But then there must be redemption. There must be a reminder of, to us about that this design, this fall is not out of God's control. That from the beginning, even before the fall happened, He had a plan. He had an idea of what to do if things do not work out. And then He was personally involved, personally invested, personally committed to bring things back to the original design. And there must be hope in the new creation where then this world is not the end. I think that's where we get stuck. We get stuck with the fact that, all right, I've been redeemed. Now I just make my life better, improve my environment, improve my way of life, live life, and then there's no tomorrow. But there must be something more because there's still things that's beyond our control. There's still things we can't change. There's still things that are still messed up. There's still bad things happening to good people. You and I are still suffering from, for example, the world pollution that maybe we have not contributed to, or have we? When good people tell me, James, I've... I've followed the diet, I've lived a good life, I've exercised, I've slept well, I've kept a positive heart, but why do I have cancer? I've done everything I can. Shouldn't God protect me from the disease? Shouldn't God bless my life? I've been a good person, I've been kind, I've served the church, I've given my, my money to support causes. Shouldn't God at least take care of His own. But the gospel tells us this is not the end because it's a new creation. This life, this broken body, wearing glasses, that's not good enough. Not having cancer is not good enough. Having aches and pains when you age is not good enough. It's not normal. That's not the design. I shouldn't pants my heart out because I have to carry Lucas up two, two flights of stairs. I shouldn't have soreness because I exercise and then I shouldn't be... A, no, that, that's not how it should be. I shouldn't worry about having long-sightedness now that I'm 40 years old. Every time I go to the optician, they say, are you having difficulty seeing things near? I say, no. Oh, you will come. I'm like, wow. I say, any way to prevent it? No. It's just how your eyeball is going to degenerate. Okay, that's not good enough. That's not how God designed for us to live. So four plus redemption, not good enough. Creation plus new creation, not good enough. We tend to cite one of these two. So the gospel must, as a reminder, have all four feet planted, equally balanced on the ground. That is the gospel. So what do you do when you take out creation? What you actually is doing, as I said, gospel is Christ. 
when you take out creation from your gospel, you're taking away Christ, the identity as the logos, as the word of God, as the original design, as the blueprint of how our life should be. We shouldn't be struggling with temptations and, and, and sin our entire life. We shouldn't be bonded by addiction to our self-fulfillment, addiction to approval from others, addiction to being able to achieve so that we be recognized. shouldn't be stuck in that mind, that world of living. Creation tells us Christ is the Word. Christ is the original design. Christ is the model we can become. Without creation, you take Christ off the equation, you have nothing to become. Who you are, is that's all it is. When you take out the fall, from the gospel, you take out Christ as the victim. Because ultimately, we're not just suffering. Ultimately, all our guilt and burden and shame is placed upon one person. And He took it for us. The innocent lamb died for us. If you took, take away the fall, you take away the price Jesus paid. If you take out redemption from the gospel... You take away Jesus as the mediator who was the innocent lamb that was slain, but he's also the lamb that resurrected. The lamb that resurrected as the Lion King. Lion King. Guess where he got that story from? Who came back to life, who, who reclaimed his throne. The return of the king, as J.R. Tolkien would say. You take him, take him out when you don't have redemption. You take out Christ as the mediator between you and God, who actually was God himself. And you take out new creation from your own gospel. You take out the hope that will propel us into a certain future that we can look forward to. That as, If you take out the new creation, this world is the end and there's nothing else to look forward to. Then there is no point in following this life as a Christian. All four must be present because the hope that we have comes as Christ as the Savior, granting us the new life, the resurrection, the ascension into kings of the universe. To be His child, ruling, judging the world together with Him. And the earth being recreated to the new heaven and new earth. When He will come and He will rule the world from here. So all four aspects, the creation, the fall, the redemption, the new creation are the four feet of the gospel that you have to experience, not just understand. Because all these four aspects can be learned in just one hour or less, but to experience is how the gospel will have its power. You have to experience Christ in your life in all four aspects. Christ as the word, Christ as the victim, Christ as the mediator, Christ as your savior. Then you fully will embrace the gospel because the gospel is not something learned it's not something magical, miraculously endued and bowed into your life, but it's something who is, you have to know personally as God. Revelation 14, verse 5 to 7 says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the spring of water. All four aspects of the gospel is presented in this verse, in these passages. So as that, the gospel must become our power. 
our power must not be the way we worship. It must not be the building that we worship in. It must not be the program that we participate in. It must not even be the people that we connect with. It must be Jesus and Christ alone. I invite the worship team to lead us in a closing song to remind us that our gospel is here and yet is coming again. Jesus is coming again.